As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome back, everybody. It's another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoe with you for the next hour or so ahead on this podcast. We'll uh, talk about the Sabres stripping Jack Eichel of his captaincy and what it means for that soap opera in Buffalo. Uh, Sean's going to talk about his offseason weird rankings, and we'll talk about which teams had the strangest offseason. We'll also talk about uh, the best broadcasters in hockey in light of Jim Hewson announcing he is stepping away from the Hockey Night in Canada booth. Jesse Granger is back for Granger Things. We'll talk about some uh, postseason awards already, trophies for individuals in the National Hockey League. We'll open up the mailbag and uh, we'll do This Week in Hockey History talking about a uh, pretty big trade uh, this week in 1991 involving the Montreal Canadiens and the New Jersey Devils. And so as we uh, kick off this uh, episode of the podcast, we bring back Down Goes Brown, who was off last week. And I got to tell you, Sean, okay? So last week, we had uh, Jesse Granger sat in, did a terrific job, um, you know, uh, sitting in as the uh, uh, the co-host. And we had Robin Leonard on, okay? So Robin Leonard joins us. And you would really, truly appreciate this. Because I think I asked Robin the question of, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Marc-Andre Fleury? Robin Leonard says, you know what? It's a double-edged, it's a a double-edged, and you should have seen Granger and I, our faces in the Zoom call, we're like, 
Robin Leonard's going to drop a sword reference when talking about uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. It was gold. Gold. Yeah, that that was excellent. And I just got to say, I I did appreciate, it did make me feel important that when I took a week off, that you replaced me with two guys. Uh, And and I got like, me and Marc-Andre Fleury now have something in common. We have been replaced by Robin Leonard. And I, I didn't have time to tweet out any photoshopped images of, of how that made me feel. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it may, give me a call, uh, Mark Andre. Cause we got, we got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Listen, that, that obviously flurry and the, uh, the Vegas golden Knights at times that turned into a little bit of a soap opera, but I gotta say, Sean, it has nothing on what seems to be going down between Jack Eichel and the Buffalo Sabres. So on Thursday morning, uh, Sabres general manager Kevin Adams meets with the media, and one of the first thing he does, uh, one of the first things he does, sorry, is he tells the world Jack Eichel is no longer the captain of the Buffalo Sabres. Now, did this have to come out? Like, did we just assume that that was going to be the case? Should he have stripped Eichel of his captaincy? What What's your read into this? Uh, obviously, it's a tumultuous uh, situation in Buffalo. Yeah, and, and I mean the the big takeaway here is if you're a Sabres fan or or just a neutral observer and you were holding out hope that there was a way to mend this and and even temporarily I we talked about scenarios uh, I think uh, on this show where maybe Jack Eichel comes back maybe he plays the season half a season just just shows that he's healthy shows what he can do shows that he's still an elite player and and then they move on from there and and this obviously makes that feel Far less likely. You never say never because this story has taken enough twists and turns that uh, I, I think we should have learned that. But yeah, clearly, I mean, whenever you see a move like this, it sends a message. And the message is pretty clear that, that Jack Eichel is not considered part of this team going forward and, and not a guy who uh, certainly they want to have as their, their leader. And, and yeah, I mean, he's made it clear that he doesn't want to be there. So uh, that guy probably shouldn't be your leader. Um, this I, I did find it interesting that we kind of heard about this a couple of days ago. That that suggests that um, somebody, presumably on the Saber side, kind of was smart enough to put it out there, so it didn't feel like a bombshell uh, when it dropped this morning. Um, but it is, you know, it's it's a big story, and you, you go down the history of NHL teams stripping guys of captaincies. That that's usually. Uh, the beginning of the end. Not always. We, you know, you you could point to the, the scenarios in San Jose with with Thornton and Marlowe, um, and uh, and and the change that they made, and ultimately go to Joe Pavelski. And yeah, but that was a very different situation. This this feels like something where, um, this is Kevin Adams sending a message, and and it's it's a message that we can all read. Uh, I found it interesting that they did not name a replacement captain. Because uh, that suggests, at least, that they may go into the season without a captain, which would not be uncommon. There's about a half dozen teams that don't have a captain right now. If they do that, then yes, you, you, the question that you that you started this with of did they even need to do this? There could be an argument that you know you could just your captain is injured and there's no need to make this official. But I, I think Kevin Adams wanted to deliver a statement, and uh, statement's been delivered. You know, I, I think, though, for a little bit of context for our listeners, because I think when you hear it on the surface that the Buffalo Sabres have stripped Jack Eichel of his captaincy, it's a jarring thing, right? Like that, that 
it's a, it's in in some ways it's ceremonial, but in other ways I think uh, wearing a C for a hockey team is one of the most prestigious honors you can have. And so when you have it taken away, it is a very public thing, and at times it can be embarrassing, humiliating. But Sean, it does happen more often than people think. Like you mentioned, what happened in San Jose. The first one I think of in my mind is. What happened with the Tampa Bay Lightning and Vinny LeCavalier in the early 2000s, where him and uh, Torts were not quite meshing, and uh, you know Tortorella took the the captaincy off of LeCavalier. I think Keenan did that. Mike Keenan did that a couple of times, right? Notably to Trevor yeah. Linden in Vancouver, uh, to Brett Hall in St. Louis. Um, it happened to Dustin Brown in LA. So, like, we do need to point out that it does happen probably a little bit more often than people think. It does. It, it and and the circumstances can always be different. You know, a few of those cases that, that you mentioned were situations where it was kind of a passing of the torch. Obviously, the the Kings he, handing it over to to Anze Kopitar. They they wanted to make it clear that this was his team. Now, um, it, it doesn't always happen with with bad feelings, at least publicly expressed bad feelings. Um, but the the reality is, in a lot of those cases we mentioned. The dynamic is that the guy who who lost the captaincy under whatever circumstances is still there, and he's he's got to go into that dressing room every day and and see you know the new guy wearing his his C, um, and and he's got to deal with that. And that's at least for now not the case. I mean, Jack Eichel going to report to camp, he's going to fail his physical, he's going to presumably go home, and and that may be the last that we ever see of him formally associated with the Buffalo Sabers. So, uh, uh, you know, again. Could Kevin Adams have said, you know what, we're, we're going to send him home. He's never going to play for the team again, likely. But we don't want to burn any bridges. We don't want to close any doors. So we're not going to strip him because we're not going to replace him. Um, yeah, you, you could have done that. And uh, it, it, that's going to be interesting to me because, I mean, camp is just starting. we got a few weeks before the season starts. They could name a new captain. Rasmus Dallin just signed a new contract. Maybe he's the new guy that you you say you want to build around or, or maybe you don't typically rebuilding teams are, are more likely to just go without a captain for a few years, wait till somebody takes hold of the team. And that's what, that's, what's frustrating if you're a Sabres fan, because that was what Jack Eichel did and it was his team. And this guy was literally your franchise player. And now this is just another brick in that wall. That's, that's crumbling. You know, I, I think when you look back at the off season for the Sabres, Buffalo fans are like, Oh my gosh, like what? We had such a tumultuous summer. It was so weird. Uh, and yet, as you dropped this week, um, you kind of did your off-season ranking of who had the weirdest off-season. And, and, and what I think is really important to point out is in your ranking system here, in your scale, it's not who had the best off-season, who had the worst off-season. It's just like who had the strangest off-season and who right. had the weirdest one. So can we start in the Western Conference and... I thought it was interesting because the Seattle Kraken are a brand new team. Like you would think that ah, they're working, they're starting from scratch. How could it be weird? And yet you kind of gave them a pretty high ranking uh, yeah. in the, in the, on the weirdo meter for the offseason. What happened with the Kraken? Which, I mean, first of all, it's just the fact that expansion drafts, expansion teams are, are rare. And, and so it's, it's strange to some extent. Uh, just the fact that this this team exists at all now and finally has a roster. But the, the thing that stuck out to me with the Kraken was what they didn't do and the, the almost total lack of maneuvering and, and trading leading up to that draft and in the immediate aftermath of it, uh, I, I found that very interesting. And the point that I make in 
in the post is, look, I, I think when it comes to Seattle, we can all acknowledge that the Vegas Golden Knights have set the bar of expectations at a, a very high level, probably an impossible level, both in terms of yeah. the success that they had on the ice, but just the, you know, the moves that they made and everybody's sitting back going, okay, okay, Ron Francis, where, what's your Florida Panthers move where you go get two, two real good players? Where's your William Carlson that you're going to pluck out of nowhere? Where's all these first round picks that you're going to get? Um, and yeah, it was probably unrealistic, especially in a league where we know that GMs react to things and they overcorrect and they all saw what happened with Vegas and they say it's not going to happen with Seattle. So I get that it was going to be difficult for Ron Francis to live up to the Vegas model. But even other expansion teams, you look in the modern era, virtually every expansion team made a bunch of side deals before their expansion drafts. You can go back to the uh, you know, the the Minnesota, Atlanta, Nashville, Columbus cohort. And and even before that, when Ottawa and Tampa and those teams were coming in, they were swinging a bunch of deals and some of them worked and a lot of them didn't. But it's it really is close to unprecedented for an expansion team to come to the NHL in the modern era, at least, uh, and and do virtually nothing other than just pick their their players and and go from there. I found that very strange. And, and I would love to know was this a strategic thing? Is this a case where Ron Francis just set the price too high, maybe misread the market, maybe he didn't want to go back on after he had said that here's here's the final offers and nobody took it. Um I'd love to know that, but it's it, it was very interesting to me because even if you set aside Vegas, the expectation is you're going to be wheeling and dealing and he just didn't do it. So, you know, Seattle again, like you said, it is. It's a weird off-season for them. In the Eastern Conference, what I thought in your um you know, bizarro meter rankings is the two teams that were involved in arguably the most like salacious moment of the off season uh, was the Jesperi Kotkaniemi offer sheet. And you have the Habs and the Carolina Hurricanes uh, pretty much at the top in terms of the weird bizarro yep. meter ranking. Um, and those two teams were, were kind of one, two for you, right? In the Eastern conference. One, two. Yeah. And, and, and the big gap between them and number three, because there, there were, a lot of teams that did some strange things, as always happens, but those are the two teams that stand out. And the offer sheet is is the great big cherry on the Sunday for both of those teams. But even putting that aside, both of those teams had very strange off seasons. I mean, you you look at you start with Montreal uh, coming off the success that they had. You had the Shea Weber injury. You had the remember the whole Carey Price expansion story that you know, for a few days they don't protect him. Oh my goodness, are the Kraken going to take Carey Price? What would this mean? And then, you know, nothing ever came of it, and we all just kind of forgot about it. But you had the uh, Philip Deneau situation where where he leaves. You had them losing their AHL coach under some circumstances that that you know maybe seemed a little odd. The Logan Mayu story, obviously, we talked about that wasn't just an embarrassment for the whole organization. Um, and, and they added some guys too. I mean, Mark Bergevin didn't, didn't sit back. Uh, he, he did a lot of stuff, but even before the offer sheet came along, Montreal had been very busy, a lot of headlines. And, and the other piece of this is this is all happening under this question of, is Mark Bergevin even coming back after this year? You know, we, we all assumed when we saw him go on that run that, okay, Bergevin's locked in, he's going to sign a big extension. And he didn't do that. And he, he indicated that, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do after a year. I, I may, uh, I may not want to continue, and then uh, you know certainly that would be his choice to make. But it's it's very interesting situation, and it's a situation that under most years would easily get you to the top of the rankings. Except 
along comes Carolina and, and yeah. they've got their their own whole long list of weird stuff that they do. Like and, and like it's funny because when I'm thinking about what Carolina did in the offseason, I almost forgot about Tony D'Angelo. I was like, oh yeah. yeah. They got, that's, they got that, that's, that's my favorite part about writing this this piece is that there's always a lot of stuff that, you know, obviously anything that's recent, we all remember and anything that was really big. But there's a lot of stuff that you just as you're going through it, you go, geez, I forgot about that. And, it, you know, a, a lot of times it's because it was something that was a big story and then it didn't uh, turn out to amount to anything. You know, we talked about the Carey Price expansion. I'll give you another one with Carolina, the whole Rod Brindamore thing. Remember how they finished the season and it was like, you're going to give this guy an extension, right? He's coach of the year. And oh, yeah, we're on it. Don't worry. And it just, it went and it went and it went. And there was this talk that, well, maybe it won't happen. And maybe the Rangers are waiting in the wings. Maybe they want to hire this guy. That's why they haven't picked a coach. And, you know, as it turns out, he signs the extension and he stays. And, and so people kind of forget about it. But that was a very strange story uh, for you know, for a while at the beginning of the offseason. And um, just, uh, you know, the the trading away a team that, has for years not had a goaltender, uh, can't seem to find a goaltender, and they finally look like maybe they've got one for the future, and they trade him away to Detroit for next to nothing because they don't want to pay him. And then they bring in a couple of guys, you know, Frederick Anderson especially, that you might scratch your head a little bit and say, is that really going to be an improvement? Um, so they also, very strange offseason before we even get to the offer sheet and all of the drama and and, and stuff that surrounded that. Um Really interesting stuff. I mean, certainly if if you're if you're a Hurricanes fan, your your head's probably spinning. I had one fan reach out to me and, and he used the word whiplash, which I think is probably a good <laughs> uh, a good description of how you feel. But if you're a fan of any other team, you know we we say this a lot, right? We look at other leagues and we go, oh, the NHL offseason is so boring compared to the NBA. Compared to the Carolina did their best to give you entertainment. They uh, they they certainly. Uh, they they certainly kept the headlines churning, and uh, you got to thank them for that, I guess. You know, and and the other team that maybe kind of slides by a little bit because the Habs and the Hurricanes uh, seem to dominate in your bizarro rankings, the New York Rangers. And yeah. you know, I, I think what what I find interesting, and and you tell me what what you think of this, but remember about ten, I think it was about ten years ago, and the Buffalo Sabers were a pretty good team, and they were kind of a playoff team, but I think it was two thousand eleven, somewhere in that neighborhood. Milan Lucic runs over Ryan Miller and mm-hmm. the Sabres didn't re- quite respond the way that their fans wanted to. And it feels like that was like this definitive moment in Sabres history that they've never been the same. It's been 10 years. And like, I can't help but think, uh, Sean, that the Rangers and the Tom Wilson thing, it might be this definitive moment. And, but they've overcompensated. They've like, yeah, They've overcompensated for this one thing that happened. And because I, I kind of felt like the team was trending in the right direction. I kind of like the pieces. I, it was like a nice, slow, patient rebuild, which is like the polar opposite of what you think of when you think of the Rangers. And then this happened. Do you kind of feel like maybe they, they're way too focused on the one thing that happened to them last year with Artemi Panarin? Now, I do. Uh, and and it, it, because it felt like almost everything they did in the offseason was through that lens of how does this affect Tom Wilson and how does this affect... And, like, they play the Capitals three times this year. They have opening night. Everyone's focused opening night. Oh, boy, here we go. It's it's going to be wild. And then they don't play them again for months. I think it's, like, February and then again at the end of the season. So you got 79 other games. And, and you know, it's it it felt like... 
everything they did, it was all about adding grit, adding toughness. Every guy that came in, when it seemed felt like the first question, well, what about Tom Wilson? You know, have you ever, people are looking up, has this guy ever fought Tom Wilson? Uh, and, you know, as I said in the piece, I grew up watching the 80s and 90s <laughs> Norris division. Yeah, exactly. Right? So I, I'm, I, I've got some experience watching teams respond to toughness and add toughness. And, and I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like this. this the Sabres situation yeah. with Lucic is, is up there. Um, and, and, and I'll say this, when it comes to the Rangers, you got to remember this piece that I wrote, this is the off-season rankings. And I start the clock in the off-season as soon as your last game is played. All the stuff with Tom Wilson and then the the chain, Jeff Gordon losing his job, John Davidson leaving, you know, that all happened that that week that was at the end of the season. So that's not even being counted here. If it did, then they, they might be giving Montreal and Carolina a run for their money. I'll say this. I always go into the comments. I always wade into there. I've had some pushback from Ranger fans, and, and I want to give kind of fair time to that. There have been a few Rangers fans saying, no, this is a narrative. This is the media is turning everything into the Tom Wilson show. This was a Rangers team that was just addressing some areas of need that, you know, that, and, and didn't really, this, this idea that they sacrificed all this skill for grit and toughness is getting overblown. And I had one Ranger fan say, and other than the trading away Pavel Pichnevich, what skill did they lose? And that's fair. My response would be, that this is a team that missed the playoffs by double digit points last year. This is a team that lost more games than they won last year. So they did. It's not like they had a surplus of skill to start with. So if you're subtracting from that, that even given that you've got a lot of young, good pieces that you would expect to improve, uh, I'm not sure that's the best plan. But you know, I I will give fair time to uh, to to the fact that some Rangers fans feel like this is something that is maybe either invented as a narrative or at least, you know, had maybe some truth to it, but it's getting pushed too far. And okay, I'm, I'm open to that. I'll, I'll hear that argument, but I got to say my reaction has been, it feels like, it feels like there is a big poster of Tom Wilson in Chris Drury's front office or maybe in James Dolan's front office. and And they're, they're looking at that every single day going, how do we deal with this? And it's, you know, it's it's one guy on one team that you're going to play a handful of times. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's the right way to approach it. Yeah, I love your in your comment. You're like uh, you have 79 other games that mm-hmm. you have to worry about. So That's it's, it, uh, you know. And you're trying to make the playoffs in a very yeah. very tough division. Uh, yeah. And and you know, look, part of this is also I you could make the case that the Rangers already dealt with the Tom Wilson thing. I mean, they, remember, there, there yes. was that gong show of a game where there were all these fights and they, they fought Tom Wilson. They, it, you know, it's not like, you know, if, if I remember right, I think the Sabres situation with Lucic, it was, they didn't play again for a while. So it kind of hung over everything. Uh, you know, with this one, it, Drury or whoever could have said, you know, we dealt with it. We, we're moving on. We're, we're going forward. It, clearly, there was a desire to get some toughness. Where that came from, you know, who knows? And yeah, toughness still matters in hockey. It's uh, I, I don't have an issue with the team saying we need to add more of that element. Uh, but it just felt like by the time you got to the Ryan Reeves trade, it was like, what's going on here? I mean, how how much do we really need? Uh, we'll see. You know, maybe the Rangers end up being that that big bad team that uh, everybody hates playing all year long. Or maybe we get into mid-November and you're looking at it going, geez, they're already five points out of the playoffs. When do we play the Capitals again? Oh, not for three months. 
great. You know, I, I wanted to hit on one other story that I think is, it, you know, it's obviously significant to hockey fans on the north side of the border, and that is longtime Hockey Night play-by-play man Jim Houston, Sean, uh, announcing his retirement after, you know, a few decades in the game and uh, certainly had been the, the lead voice for hockey in this country in the, in the same way that Mike Emmerich was the voice of hockey in the United States on on NBC. Jim Houston has been that on on uh, Sportsnet and CBC for the past you know decade plus. And um, you know I, I want to get your thoughts on this, but I want to share a real quick Jim Houston story because uh, I I love Jim and I, I Jim has been has always been so nice to me over the years. But I'll never forget Sean. So the 2010 Stanley Cup Final is Philly and Chicago, and I'm in in Philadelphia for that game six, and and like everyone else in the building, completely shocked. When Patrick Kane scored the goal, like I didn't, I didn't realize the puck went in. It was eerily silent in that building, uh, and you could just hear Kane screaming, coming down the ice. Well, after the game, if you, if you know, um, for for people who don't know, but you know, the the media kind of travels in large contingents, and we kind of all stay at the same hotel, and there's a kind of a media reception room that we go to, and I'll never forget. Sean, at the end of that night, game six, go to the uh, little hotel, uh, little bar, whatever, in, in Philadelphia, and there's Jim Houston. And he looks like just crestfallen, sad, uh, and you could tell it bothered him. He was crushed, Sean, that he didn't get the chance. He didn't get the call right because nobody knew, right? Nobody knew where mm-hmm. the puck was. And, you know, I, I think in his mind, he was thinking, like, how many chances are you going to get? to call a Stanley Cup winning goal in overtime. Like, it's pretty rare. And I remember him looking so, like, so sad, so dejected. And I was so happy that I was two, I think it was two years later, right? Or 2014. 2014, when Alec Martinez scored that goal, I was so happy because I thought he got it. He got his chance. He got his opportunity to call the Stanley Cup winning goal uh, in overtime. But I, I got to tell you, huge fan of Jim Houston. Uh, yep. I thought he called a great game can think about all those, you know, the great save Luongo and all that stuff. I loved it. I want to know if you're power ranking the all-time voices in hockey, where's Jim Houston come in for you? Yeah, he's he's up there. I, I really liked his his work at, you know, you and I growing up in Canada, not just in hockey for, for a lot of years. He, you know, he was, he's involved in other sports as well. I, I do have to say I'm deeply bothered by hearing that he's retiring given that this guy looks younger than you and I do. Yeah. Uh, I did. There's no way I, yeah. I saw somewhere. It was like, yeah, after 41 years in the business. And I was like, there's no way there's no, did this, like, did this guy, you know, was he born but, holding a microphone? Like, come on. There's, but do, uh, don't you find that like, like people in like the seventies and eighties, like they started doing games when they're like 21. You're like, well, what's yeah. going on here? Like, yeah, like, that must be it. It's yeah. yeah. I started my career at, at the age of 17. I was calling games in, you know, some, some yeah. minor hockey league team. And you're like, Oh, where, how is that possible? Yeah, that's true. That, that yeah. must've been what happened with him. Yeah. He's, he's up there. I mean, I think if, if you're doing the, your Mount Rushmore, uh, gee, I mean, there's there's a few names that you have to put on there for play by play for hockey, I, and you'd start with Foster Hewitt, uh, and uh, and and then Bob Cole, I think would be the other one that I would. It's just beyond debate that uh, th- th- those were sort of the two uh, voices of of hockey for for full eras. Uh, and then yeah, I mean if if you're going in the U.S., I I, it, I guess it's probably Emmerich would be the first one that you put up there, uh, and then that fourth spot. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, you know, Houston's in the running. Uh, you know, Danny Gallivan would obviously be 
uh, be a guy that uh, you'd you'd also look at if if you're going back in the past. There's there's probably an argument to be made that I should have two Canadians and two Americans, but I don't have to. We'll leave that to Gentilly and Custance yeah. to 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 prop up their their side of the border. Uh, yeah, that that fourth spot becomes it. I would probably go Hewitt, Gallivan, Cole, Emmerich as my big four. Um, but yeah, Houston's Houston's up there. He was he was really good for a lot of years, and he's 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 the voice that you hear for a lot of these great uh, great moments. Yeah, man. Like for me, Chris Cuthbert might be there, and and maybe yeah. maybe Chris will it'll because now he's going to become the lead voice probably for Hockey Night for the foreseeable future. Um, maybe he'll have an opportunity to carve out more of a a niche as you know having these signature moments because he was the guy back in the day when we were kids like i always think of chris cuthbert as he was the smite division guy for like all of those you know theo flurry the overtime goal and 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 some of the great moments but he only really came into the national scene a little bit later right and so mm-hmm. um but i think he's got a great opportunity to kind of maybe push his way into the the Mount Rushmore, so to speak, of great voices. And all yeah, that. and and he's real good, and he's he's been doing it for a while. He's the the one time I was ever in a Hockey Night in Canada booth was with Chris Cuthbert. Back Wait, what? Way, were you, what oh, hold on here. Yep. You can't just drop in. Back in college, Dalgos Brown was in a uh, Hockey Night in Canada play by play booth. Back back in college, you and I had a a mutual friend who did some work with <laughs> oh, with Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, and uh, one. One time I got set up. He said, do you want to come? And uh, it basically you'll, you'll, I, I was in the booth. I wasn't speaking. I wasn't part of the broadcast, but basically you will be their assistant. You'll be their helper. And and I remember the job, the, my main job was they said, if there is a goal scored very quickly, write down who scored the goal and who got the two assists and pass it over. And if you've ever wondered, like how do broadcasters always seem to know right away who got the assist before they even announce it? Um, part of that is that there could have been somebody, somebody like me up there. And I remember th- saying like, that actually sounds tough because how do you, you know, a goal gets scored. How do you remember the last two guys? And, uh, you know, I was given some tips about, you know, you, you just got to keep a running kind of commentary of names in your head. And they said, you'll get used to it. Just hope there's not a ton of scoring early on because you'll get into the rhythm as the game goes on. And it was a game between Montreal and Ottawa. And I swear there were like six goals scored in five minutes and I was losing my mind. And I don't, I, I probably didn't do a, a super good job and, and just constantly writing this stuff and firing it over at, uh, at him. Um, and yeah, I was uh, not, put it this way. I, I didn't get, I didn't get any voicemails from Chris Cuthbert inviting me back into the booth after that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was an experience for sure. And he was, he was a very, very nice, classy guy. Uh, even to some no-name college kid who uh, didn't didn't seem to know what they were doing. I'm 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 just picturing you sliding a piece of paper over to Chris Cuthbert, and it says Oleg Petrov? Question mark. <laughs> yeah, just question marks. Yeah, he's just looking at it, going, "These these are just guys from the '93 Leafs," and I'm just yeah. shrugging, like I'm doing my best, man. I don't know. Yeah. Oh man, that's yeah. See, that's gold. Like I, I see. I love like I don't think people realize that you were up in the booth. For a game, and uh, but but you don't, for the most part now, the way that you cover the game is kind of from afar, so to speak. Like so, like when's the last time you were in a like? And for a lot of us, we haven't been in a press box a long time. Yeah. When's the last time? Was it the outdoor game? Is the lot? Is that the uh, the one out in San Francisco? Is that the last time you were in a press box, See, now press I'm gallery type thing? Yeah. Now I'm trying to think. There was uh, I. I feel like I may have been down to Toronto and done a couple of games in the meantime. But yeah, it was back in the Grantland days when when I was 
kind of their their main hockey guy and they they would send me anywhere and I I I, I kind of went all over. Uh but yeah, not since then really. It's that there's there's not much need for it and you know, we're here in Ottawa, but I I can't remember the last time I was up in in the box in Ottawa. So yeah, that's uh it's it's just uh, for, for some reason, when your, when your job involves sitting around trying to figure out what hockey players last names rhyme, yeah, apparently you don't really need to be <laughs> right, uh, right in the middle of the action to do that stuff. I can't imagine you asking the first question in a press conference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Me. Bettman, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Bettman, can you please settle it? Does yeah. Pavel Burry and Chris Drury's last name rhyme? Can you please, can we yeah. get a ruling on this? Why am can- I being escorted out? Yeah, Mr. Bettman, could you please say Mary, Mary, and Mary three times? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that, yeah, that's cool. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Sean, uh, we we pumped his tires earlier in the podcast and he was a terrific uh, fill-in co-host last week and uh, we bring him right in here for a little Granger Things with Jesse Granger. This segment brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us here at The Athletic. And Jesse, I told Sean earlier how much you and I had to stifle our giggles when Robin Leonard said, you know, it's a double-edged, double-edged and... He went ahead and said it. It's a double-edged sword. But boy, did we have some fun uh, with Robin Leonard having having that uh, reference dropped in the in the interview. Yeah, he he was great as always. He uh, he he's never has a shortage of things to say. So Robin Leonard's always a great guest. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was great. And so look, we're we're back having some Granger things. And I think what we uh, wanted to do today is talk a little bit about some some future odds and lines for individual awards in the NHL. And I think what's really important here is we don't want to talk about the obvious. Like, so let's start with the Hart Trophy and yeah, okay, Connor McDavid. Yeah, that's great. I think what our listeners would love is, hey, give Sean and I some sneaky names here that might be good, uh, maybe offering some good value here at the end of September. Yeah, I think, and to me, the way I look at these, just to let listeners in on sort of my, the way I look at futures and especially trying to pick out value guys, like obviously McDavid plus he's three to one to win the heart. You're not going to win any money even betting him. So why do it now? It's, it's, it's kind of a pointless bet, especially risking the entire 82 game season and hoping that guy stays healthy. The way I look at it is kind of based on teams. I think of it in the, because it's so hard to pick out the guy who's going to have that breakout season. Like if, if you bet on Leon Dreisaitl, for example, the year before he got it, um, obviously a good player, but there are so many good players in this league. To me, I like to think of teams I think are going to be near the top and then try to find a, a top player on a team that 
you can get good value on. And, and you just hope that that team ends up winning. And that's what always inevitably happens is someone ends up on the heart ballot that you didn't expect at the beginning of the year because their team won more games and, and the best player on a, on a winning team gets, gets votes. A guy like this kind of stands out is, I don't know, Matt Barzal is, is a guy that I look at. I think that that team doesn't get enough credit. Um, when I was picking we, we, the, the athletic asked us to make our picks for the season. And once again, I'm like, I, I wasn't picking the Islanders. And I'm like, no, I, I need to pick them because I never pick them. And they're in the conference final every year. So I think a team like that, that, that you, you know, is going to be good. Um, I think a guy like Braden Point, he was a monster in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay is going to win a lot of games. I, I think he would be a decent value at heart at 16 to one. Um, and, and, Another guy is Patrick Kane. Chicago is going to be a lot better this year. They look like they're going to be a lot better if they can be in contention. We saw how good he was last year, and he's been putting up ridiculous numbers. But when you're on a team like Chicago that's not winning, you're not going to get many heart bouts unless you're lighting it up like McDavid. Um, I think if Chicago can be a little bit better, I think he would be um, in that conversation as one of the best players in the league. And he is 20 to 1 right now. So so those are the guys for heart. Um, do you guys see anybody that... that kind of piques your interest in that trophy one name that maybe stands out a little bit just and this is kind of on the same logic that you were using mark stone now not a guy that necessarily is going to put up huge numbers and 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 just jump right to the front of the line but i i'm looking at on my list he's like the 18th name listed when you got to get 18 names down for a team that i think most people would probably put in their top five at the very least especially in that division they're going to be in that one doesn't seem like a, a bad one to take a flyer on if you're getting 25 26 to one odds yeah and mark stone was a, a point per game player last year and and i'm hesitant on that um i think i mentioned it before on here you, they were playing the same teams every week and, and that division was so bad it's going to be interesting to see if he can do that um playing a full nhl schedule but he was a point per game player and that's about mm -hmm. what you need to get on that list and if they're a 105 point team and and you know mark stone's a guy that there's been a lot of selkie push for him you know and, and he's mm -hmm. a guy that always comes up uh, he's one of the most underrated players and boy you really have to know the game to appreciate everything this guy does is it possible that that could swing all the way to hey let's skip the selkie and go right to the heart conversation you know i yeah. i don't I don't think it's likely, but at these odds, you don't need it to be likely. You just need 25 to, to one. Exactly. And, and for me, a guy in that same boat is Barkov, right? Because I think a lot of people look at Florida as maybe a top five, seven team. And he's got a, a heading into last year of uh, his contract. Like I, I don't mind, I, I don't mind Barkov uh, in that spot, to be honest with you too. So yeah, lots of great value there. Um, let's move down to the Vesna trophy because um, as you look at it, I don't think it's a shock that, that Andre Vasilevsky coming off of back-to-back -back Stanley Cups and really being just statistically dominant um, is your odds-on favorite. As you start to peruse that list, guys, who, who jumps out at you? To me, this is the one where um, I've got this circled in red Sharpie as many times as I can circle it. This is the okay. best value on the board for any bet you can make. Robin Leonard is 16-1. to 1 to win the Vezina. Mm -hmm. He is the 12th best odds of any goalie. There are 11 goalies with better odds to win the Vezina than Robin Leonard, and that is absolutely insane to me. Um, simply because, so like for Vezina trophies, it's voted on by the GMs, and it's almost always the goalie with the most wins, the goalie with the best save percentage. It's very simple statistic. Like goals saved above yep. expected rarely results in a Vezina, is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. 
And the same statistics that lead to Vezina wins are the same statistics that goalies get credit for in fantasy hockey. If you look at fantasy hockey rankings, Robin Leonard is the number two goalie in the league behind Andre Vasilevsky. And if you look at where he's being drafted in fantasy hockey, he's being drafted as the second or third goalie in the NHL based off he plays for one of the best teams in the league in Vegas. He's going to get a bunch of games. They play in the worst division in hockey. He's going to rack up those wins. Robin Leonard has historically throughout his career been a very good safe percentage goalie just because of the style he plays. I think everything here is setting up for Robin Leonard to absolutely be a Vezina candidate, um, at least maybe a Vezina finalist. And the fact that he right now has worse odds than guys like Thatcher Demko, Peter yeah. Morazic, Alex Nedeljkovic, who's going to be yeah. playing behind gonna Detroit. Going to win 12 games this year. He has He's 14 to 1, and Robin Leonard is 16 to 1. That is insanity to me. Yep. That, that, you know what? I can't disagree with anything you said. I'll throw one other name out there um, that, that for a lot of the same reasons, Darcy Kemper is listed at uh, what? 14 to one on, on the list I'm looking at again, a guy who in theory is going to win a lot of games, uh, but he's, he's the main guy. And, and the other piece I would say is uh, this is voted on by the GMs. The GMs seem to love Joe Sackett. And the fact that, you know, if I'm if I'm a GM and I'm looking at different options, the guy that Joe Sackett traded for went out and got, went out and proactively got that maybe I nudge that guy up my list a little bit to make Joe look good. Well, listen, I speaking of Joe Sackett's guys, uh, as we look at the Norris trophy odds, Kale McCarr, um, is your odds on favorite to uh to uh, maybe win the Norris trophy? And the the reigning Norris trophy winner, Adam Fox, comes in second, Victor Hedman third. But again, the point of this exercise isn't to look at uh, you know the the overwhelming favorites. It's to look at who could be some sneaky good uh, bets or give you some sneaky good value. So as we look at the Norris Trophy right now, uh, any names jump out to you that that the odds are 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 looking pretty good here at the end of September? Yeah, to stick with the uh, theme of teams that I expect to be a little better. I think Vancouver. They had such a bad year last year. They, the year before in the Pacific Division, where I got to watch them a lot because they're playing Vegas all the time. They were they were really good. They played Vegas in the playoffs. They played them to seven games. They were tough. Last year was such a disaster for that team, um, finishing near the bottom or or in the bottom of the North. And I think that that team. You look at the talent on that team. You look at the. Like I've mentioned before, the, the Pacific Division does not have a lot of good teams this year. I think Vancouver is is primed for a bounce back. And if they do, it's going to be large part because of Quinn Hughes. And and I think he has the chance to be the best player on that team. And at 15 to 1, um, that that's pretty good odds for a guy who I think two years ago, he was seen right there with Kale McCarr. It was the argument. Which one of these two is better? Which of these two is the, the better young player? McCarr now, obviously, he's 4 to 1 not 15 to one like Quinn Hughes. And that's because McCarr has kind of stayed in the spotlight because his team, the Avalanche have been so good and Vancouver kind of fell out of the spotlight because that bad year. I think if Vancouver has a bounce back year, Quinn Hughes is going to get a lot of credit for that. And 15 to one. um, I think those odds can go down really quickly if Vancouver has a hot start. Yep. That's, that's a good case. I'm a little disappointed. I, my, what I thought was a dark horse pick was Charlie McAvoy, but he's listed here. He's he's fifth on the on their list, so I'm I'm obviously a little late to the party on that one. Mira Heiskins, another guy that uh, uh, that I might look at at uh, at the same odds as Quinn Hughes, uh, especially since given what happened last year, it's clear that the the days of Norris voters only wanting to cast their ballots for veteran guys who've been around for for ten years and and treating it like a lifetime achievement award are are past. 
let me give you one actual long shot or or maybe even two because they're both listed at the same odds on mine. Uh, Jacob Chikrin, just, you know, Arizona obviously doesn't get a lot of attention, but this is a guy who seems like he's breaking through into becoming an elite guy. Going to have more responsibility with, with Ekman Larson gone. It's it's his team or at least his blue line now. You could see a narrative forming there if he has a big year. He, he can score goals. You know, maybe that, that ends up being some people look at. And then the other piece is, and again, I'm looking at what happened last year where, uh, you know, I, I thought Victor Hedman was going to win because I just thought the voters are going to go with the familiar, but there was a really good case for Adam Fox and it was being made, especially by a lot of people in the analytics community. And that seemed to bubble up and it seemed to actually take hold. And, and people looked at it and said, you know what? Yeah, you're making a good case and, and we're going to vote for this guy. I might look at, you know, who else is there out there that is maybe a dark horse that, that the analytics guys really seem to like. And if he had a breakthrough year, could they put something together for him. And the guy that I look at is Mackenzie Weger in, in Florida. They they seem to love this guy. Uh, and he's he's not certainly a household name, not a guy that uh, necessarily has uh, uh, been at the top of the list or, or uh, but was a top 10 finisher last year. So he's way down the list at, you know, something like 35, 36 to one. Yeah, if I was going to go for for a big long shot, I might uh, I might put a couple bucks down there. Yeah, I completely agree on Uyghur. and and you, I can see where you were going with that one. And his his analytics have been great. Yeah, I I think that's a I, I like that that play a lot. Um, right there with those two guys at thirty five to one is uh, Mark Giordano. Um, if mm-hmm. Seattle is the surprise team that Vegas was, maybe he gets a bunch of credit and 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 is on that ballot too. Yep. Yeah, and he's got a you know he's got a Norris Trophy already in his in his cabinet. Uh, would you guys put any money as we wrap this conversation up? Uh, there are three former, uh, not including Giordano, but there's three other former Norris Trophy winning uh, defensemen in Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Drew Doughty. And they're coming in at, you know, roughly between 30, I think roughly 30 to 1 for Burns, 36 to 1 for Doughty, and about 50 to 1 for Carlson. Any chance any one of those three guys can rediscover the game of uh, their their youth or the ship has sailed on all three of those guys. I think if I were to put money on one of those guys, it'd be Dowdy, only because I think the Kings are are improving, and I think that they, I think they're heading in the right direction. Whereas I think San Jose is kind of in the beginning stages of their rebuild. Um, I think Eric Carlson's probably the the better of those three, but I think Dowdy's in a better situation where. Maybe if that LA Kings run, and again, I keep going back to it. The Pacific Division is wide open. There's one team that made the playoffs in that division last year, and that's the Golden Knights. After that, it is so wide open. So if the Kings and these young prospects that they have coming up take a big step forward and, and they make the playoffs or something, maybe Dowdy's kind of the guy that they rally around and, and he gets a lot of the credit for it. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I don't think I would bet on any of these guys, but Dowdy would be my guy. The other piece of this is uh, assuming we have the Olympics. If Doughty ends up on Team Canada, which you could see given the veteran presence and plays well, obviously the Olympics are not supposed to factor into uh, an NHL award, but we know who's voting on this, right? It's the media. We love a story. If it, That could be part of the Drew Doughty redemption tour if he goes to the Olympics and actually uh, looks like old Drew Doughty with the whole world watching. Yeah, that's going to move him up uh, a few lists. So if I was head to talk myself into one of them, it'd be, it'd be him, but uh, I, I, I don't know that I'd be putting any money down on it. Yeah, we have to make sure that we uh, we cut an audio clip and send it to Drew Doughty of us saying he's like a 
you know, 40 to one shot to win the Norse. Cause he just seems to, he seems to be motivated by the hater aid. Uh, mm-hmm. He likes, uh, he likes that stuff. Hey, we'll leave it there. Jesse Granger is always great to have you back in the saddle as uh, our uh, expert here when it comes to all things uh, with, with, the, with the futures and the lines. Uh, part of this uh, segment brought to you by bet MGM. Listen, thanks for this. And we'll get you again next, uh, next Thursday. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks Jesse. All right. Always great to get Jesse Granger with us back in uh, the, for uh, for Granger Things. Going to open up the mailbag here. A reminder, a couple of ways you can reach us here on the Athletic Hockey Show. You can drop us an email with any questions you have uh, for us. Uh, the email address is theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Or you can uh, drop us a voicemail. Leave us a voicemail. Uh, we'd love to hear your voice. Love to play the audio clip. So if you have any questions or comments or you know things you want us to tackle, you can actually pick up the phone and give us a call 845-445-8459. So do that and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, let's open up the mailbag here, uh, Sean. Let's tackle one question this week. And let's go to uh, this email that we got from Enrique. Enrique Torriquez has written in to us uh, and says, look, can you guys tell me anything? about the Anaheim Ducks. As a diehard fan of the franchise, I feel like I never hear anything in the media about them unless it's something bad. So I have a lot of love uh, for other franchises. I hear a lot of love for other franchises, but never about Anaheim. So let's let's help uh, Enrique out here. Sean, what do we think about the Anaheim Ducks going into this season? No opinion. Next. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I love that question because it's just like, just say anything. Just Give me, remind me my team exists. I, I think Anaheim, look, they're clearly a rebuilding team. And they're they're at that stage of the rebuild where I, I don't know that it feels like they're coming out of it quite yet to the point where, like with a team like LA or maybe maybe even Ottawa, where you say, hey, you know, they're going to take a big step forward. And I, I don't know that Anaheim's quite there. They've got real good prospects. They they have got, uh, you know, Corey Promen consistently ranks them near the very top of his his pipeline rankings. Um, I will say this, and I, I don't talk a lot about the Ducks, but I have mentioned them pretty consistently as my uh, dark horse pick in the Jack Eichel sweepstakes. Yeah. Uh, I think that for all the same reasons that we keep pointing to LA, I think all of those reasons apply to Anaheim as well. And if, if they were to decide that they wanted to accelerate and, and go after a guy like that, I think they make a lot of sense. Um, the, the interesting thing... For Anaheim this offseason and it was kind of one of those under the radar stories a little bit uh at, at least from an Anaheim perspective but I when we were talking about Montreal and their bizarre offseason and I talked about their AHL coach leaving and you know what, what that meant uh that was a guy named Joel Bouchard and he went to Anaheim and he took their AHL job in San Diego which uh part of the reason that it, it had some people scratching their heads a bit is it felt like a bit of a lateral move you're you're not you're going from head coach in the AHL one place to head coach in another. But I think the circumstance is pretty obvious that you've got Montreal now seems like they've got their coach, their new coach locked in. And then you look at Anaheim and you look at Dallas Aikens, who I like a lot and think is a really good coach, but the results have not been there. They weren't there in Edmonton and they have not so far been there in Anaheim, although with a, a rebuilding roster. And I think a lot of people, when they saw Joel Bouchard go and take that job in San Diego, they went, ah, this is this is a case where Anaheim is, they're not making a coaching change, which a lot of us thought they might do in the offseason, but they just hired their next head coach. And he's there, and he's going to be ready to come in as soon as, if and when, they make a change on Dallas Akins. And so that's a situation to watch, where 
you know, Bob Murray gave the vote of confidence and Bob Murray's on a hot seat too. And, and he's been there a while and uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see how much rope he gets, but that was a case where it, it certainly felt like Anaheim was kind of taking a look ahead at the future and saying, we still like Dallas Akins and we still want this guy coaching our team. But if and when the time comes to make a change, who's our next guy? Do we have him in the organization? And if not, let's go out and get him. And, and they found somebody uh, who, was, who was looking to make that move. You know, I, I think Anaheim's an interesting team because I think the Pacific Division is so weak that you could talk me into John Gibson getting crazy hot and yeah. kind of, you know, like he he has that ability. I think That's what has to happen. And, and yeah. the, the thing with John Gibson is, it, you know, it, it, he, it took us a little while to catch on to the fact that this guy was one of the best goalies in the league. But for the last couple of years, he hasn't been especially good or at least consistently good. And, and I think, you know, partly because it's been partial seasons and, and obviously there's been a lot of other stuff going on that that's maybe flown under the radar a little bit. So, um, you know, if you're someone who doesn't follow Anaheim at all and you, you know, you might look at them and go, well, they got one of the best goalies. So who knows? And yeah, you're right. If, if John Gibson gets back to what he was, then they've got a puncher's chance because that division is weak. And, and if you got a goalie, you've, you've got a chance, uh, but the question is, what is John Gibson? And that's going to be a, a question to watch this year because, you know, we, we've all seen even the all-time great goalies have one bad year. Uh, a couple of bad years starts to worry you, but once it gets past that, it, it becomes a trend. And I don't think John Gibson's been bad. I don't want to overstate that. But he hasn't been the John Gibson that, that we got used to a few years earlier than that. So I, I, that's going to be an interesting story to watch. How well does he play and, and how much can he lift a young team uh, that's going to be in front of them. And and it's a young team, and, and I think it's a fun team, actually, to watch. And I think, mm-hmm. to me, uh, uh, Trevor Zegris is, is going to be really interesting because he played 24 games last year, which gives him like just enough of a taste of the NHL, yep. and he's still eligible for the Calder Trophy, right? And He's my he, Calder pick, yeah. Yeah, and I think that he's going to be a really fun guy to watch. And I think he, he probably showed, it was a small sample size, he showed he can thrive in the AHL, I think he's going to probably get as many touches as any young uh, centerman in the National Hockey League this year, uh, based on his age. I think he's fun, and I really like Jamie Drysdale too. I think Jamie Drysdale is a really good uh, young defenseman that you you would look at him and think, you know, like if 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 Zegers and Drysdale end up playing the full season in the National Hockey League and end up being as good as we think they can, and John Gibson's like playing like he was two years ago, I kind of feel like the Anaheim Ducks could be a fun team. And because that Pacific division is so weak, maybe they can sneak in. And and if and if they sneak in, it presumably because John Gibson is is having a great team, great year, who wants to play them in the first round? Right. Yeah. You know, they, they, if they'd be one of those teams. You know, if they if they sneak in, let's assume that there's only going to be three spots coming out of the Pacific. They sneak in third. Who's that second place team? Edmonton. You think Edmonton wants to play John Gibson or you know whoever else uh, might be in that spot? You never. We hey, we learned last year, right? Make the playoffs, and then who knows? Yeah, exactly. All right, as we always do, Sean, we're going to wrap it up with a little this week in hockey history, and uh, you know, look, late September is not a time where a Kind of things that happened in the news cycle, but we do want to focus in on something that happened. A really significant trade happened on September the 20th, 1991. So we're going to take our listeners back 
30 years. So 30 years ago this week, Montreal Canadiens and New Jersey Devils engineered a really significant training camp trade. And you don't often see these types of trades. It was a two-for-two trade. And I think it kind of worked out for both teams, Sean, because the Montreal Canadiens picked up Kirk Muller and uh, goaltender Roly Melanson from New Jersey in exchange for Stefan Riche and Tom Chorsky. And what I think is neat about this is Muller, of course, is a guy that wins the Stanley Cup with Montreal a couple of years later in 1993. And then Riche and Chorsky are a part of a Devils team that win a Stanley Cup in 1995, and I can't help but think that, like, man, this is actually one of those rare deals that it seemed like it worked out for both teams. Yeah, it uh, it it probably did. I think both those uh, both teams would be would be happy with it. And it's yeah, it's one of those fun trades from from the 1990s where it's on the surface it looks like a hockey trade, right? There's you know yep. there's no draft picks, there's no obviously there's no cap to worry about back then. Um, but a fun thing to do with with pretty much any a good rule of thumb with any '90s blockbuster trade <laughs> is to look back and ask yourself: Was there a salary dispute involved, and had any of these players actually walked away from their team to force the trade? Because that happened a lot back then. We we've forgotten it because it's it's really not a piece of the modern NHL. Yeah. But back then, uh, contracts could be renegotiated. Anytime. So a player could just go, I, I don't like my contract anymore. I'm not going to play until I get a new one. And it happened all the time. Guys like Messier did it. Uh, Doug Gilmore, everybody, you know, crushes the Calgary Flames for that trade they made with the Leafs. Doug Gilmore had walked away from the Calgary Flames. He went home to force their hand into making a trade. And sure enough, you look at this trade. And yeah, we, we find that again. And it was Kirk Muller had uh, just days before this trade was made. He had gone home from training camp and it's interesting because this, you, you talk about all, all the dominoes that can fall from a move. And we talked about this one a, a couple of weeks ago. Scott Stevens, when he came over to the New Jersey Devils, that, uh, that, that franchise changing move where they get him as compensation in the arbitration for the signing of Brandon Shanahan by the Blues. And Scott Stevens is not happy. And he doesn't initially even want to report to the New Jersey Devils, says, I'm not going to play for them. I want out eventually goes and of course now you picture scott stevens of course he's wearing a, a devil's jersey in your mind um but at the time he didn't want to be in new jersey but one of the repercussions of that is when scott stevens arrived in new jersey having already signed this big contract with the with the blues and then been transferred over to the devils he was making two or three times what everyone else on that team was making yeah. and a few guys on the devils went hold on wait a second if if you can afford this guy we want to change our our contracts up too. And Kirk Muller was one of them. Ken Danico was another uh, another lifelong devil who said, I, I want a new deal. And of course, uh, Kirk Muller walked away. He said, I'm, I'm going home until I get a new contract. And Lou Lamorello, even back in the early 90s, he, he was not much more mellow than he was today. He, <laughs> he wasn't having it. And so he uh, flipped Kirk Muller, who was the devil's captain at the time, flipped him to Montreal, got Stefan Richer back, uh, it, it said at the time, which was quite funny, that it, it had nothing to do with the fact that he had gone home. It was just a, you know, just a move that uh, yeah. that seemed to make sense. But uh, yeah, th- it, that was one of our early lessons that that Lou Lamarillo was not messing around, and uh, it was a situation where, hey, I mean, it worked out for everyone. Kirk Muller was thrilled. He's he's a Kingston boy. To to get a chance to go play for the Montreal Canadiens was uh, probably a, a great opportunity for him. And, and Stefan Richie played well for the Devils. Worked out for everybody. 
But again, just that that ground rule, that rule of thumb, anytime you're looking at a 90s trade, dig into it a little bit, see who who forced it on the player yeah. side, and, and you will almost always find that there was somebody. All right. Hey, listen, we'll leave it there. Great to have you back in the saddle. Like, hey, man, we missed you last week. Uh, like I said, Granger did a great job jumping in, but uh, look, we're looking forward to, as the season kicks off, training camps open up, uh, doing this every Thursday. So listen, have a great week, and uh, we'll get you again uh, next Thursday, and I'm sure there'll be uh, a whole bunch of columns you write between now and then that we can uh, sink our teeth into. Right on. Sounds good. All righty. Hey, folks, and a reminder that uh, coming up on Friday, the Prospects uh, series of the Athletic Hockey Show uh, featuring Corey and Max, Max Boltman, Corey Pronman. They're going to be interviewing the guy we all think is going to go number one overall. Shane Wright of the Kingston Frontenacs is going to be the guest on the Prospect Series of the Athletic Hockey Show, so make sure you tune into that. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Like I said earlier, drop us an, uh, uh, an email. If you want to, got any questions, got any feedback for us, anything you want us to tackle, the Athletic Hockey Show gmail.com we'll go through that email uh, list and try to uh, dig out some questions for next week and a reminder if you're not a subscriber with us you can join us at the athletic.com slash hockey show you get 50% off an annual subscription